This episode is brought to you by Major Spoilers VIP members. VIP stands for very important people, and their small monthly contributions ensure that this podcast remains free for all of you. If you would like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com for more information. I sure do thank you for your support. Now, here's your show. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into detail about the topics discussed. So, if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items they talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, Superman and Batman throughout the decades, Kirk and Spock take flight once again, Nightwing and Faith on their first date. One of these things does not happen, but we're still here in the sprightly spoilers manner with comics and TV and the kick butt poll of the week, 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 week. So dust off your banjo and clean out the barn because we're going to have a show to save us an orphanage. And the major spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 686 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for sharing this episode with a friend. And thank you, everyone, who's using the Amazon link over at Majorspoilers.com. I was talking on uh, doing a, uh, what is it, the uh, Periscope thing on Friday night. And uh, someone had asked about that. I was like, well, yeah, you know, in fact, the, the people who support us on Amazon really on a good month, we'll cover the entire cost of our server. And that person was like, holy cow, I didn't realize that, you know, using that Amazon link was so important to you guys. And he went and spent $120 during that uh, Periscope conversation using that Amazon link so that nice. we can continue to keep the uh, the, the little uh, hamsters running in their cages to keep this whole place running for yet another week. So thank you, everybody, who uses that Amazon link. It is much appreciated. Hamsters in their cages. No, uh, no, Rodrigo this week. I don't know where he had disappeared to, but uh, Ashley. It's the Mondays. I guess so, on a Tuesday. Uh, but uh-huh. Ashley is down at the San Diego Comic Con this week. So she'll be working at the Top Cow booth. You can follow her, go visit her at Top Cow. And um, she'll also be doing a meetup with uh, Jason Inman at, I think, the Geekscape booth on one of those days. You can go check out both their schedules online. They've posted them both on their Twitter and their Instagram, so go check that out. And I hope they have a lot of fun. It should be an interesting Comic-Con. And everyone, I'm hoping that you check out the uh, San Diego Comic-Con coverage that we have. We will try to get as much as possible, but that show has grown so much over the years. Apparently, Matthew, according to some report, um, mm-hmm. everyone who attends Comic-Con yes. in, in, general, in, in, in the mass Spend something uh-huh. like $80 million during the week of Comic-Con in San Diego. Individually? Holy no, no, crap. No, 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 as, as a group. Oh, well, that's that's still impressive. Which is still really impressive considering 150,000. So I don't know if that counts. So I don't know how they're counting that. If that's 150,000 people that are spending $80 million, those are just the intend- attendees. Or if that counts for the Comic-Con International that has to rent the San Diego uh, Convention Center. If that right. includes the publishers that have to pay you know, to get their booze and the shipping and all of that stuff. I don't know what that all entails, but holy cow, you know, $80 million in a weekend. I mean, studios could be spending money to get their stars down there. That could be calculated into the cost, but that's Mm -hmm. a lot. And another thing that I saw just recently was that uh, not this, not uh, last year, but the year before 2014, Mm -hmm. comic book sales were $100 million or $100 million in comic book sales 
in 2014. That dropped 10% this in 2015 to 90, uh, 90 million dollars. But it looks like they're on track to hit at least another $90 million this year, which is a lot of money being spent on comic books and pop culture geeky goodness. It is indeed. And I think a lot of people will be spending them on Star Trek stuff and Star Wars stuff. So why don't we jump into some news? (laughs) Oh, do, 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 do. The new Star Trek series is set to stream on Netflix, but not for the U.S. or Canada. Uh, In the meantime, Paramount has announced a fourth Star Trek movie. And finally, a little bit of Star Wars news. Alden Einrich, uh, Ehrenreich, is the young Han Solo. So let's spin that Wheel of Destiny and see where it lands. There it goes. No Star Trek this week, apparently. Alden Ehrenreich is the young Han Solo. So this past weekend, Star Wars Celebration Europe 2016 took place in London. And um, StarWars.com streamed a lot of it. Uh, or they streamed everything, and you can go find the individual panels. I thought it was a great uh, show. I got to watch a couple of hours each day. Um, and I really got a kick out of the uh, Star Wars Rebels. So Star Wars Rebels Season 3 is coming, and uh, Admiral Thrawn will be part of this third season. Ooh. So that's some expanded universe stuff there. Didn't, didn't he, like, kill Chewbacca at one point? I don't remember how that story played out. I didn't read the, the that novelization stuff. I really never got into the expanded universe stuff. But I know a lot of people were super thrilled to hear that Thrawn was coming. Then we also got an expanded look at Rogue One, as well as the poster for the new uh, Rogue One Star Wars story movie. So that was really cool. My favorite panel of all was the um, Star Wars archaeology panel, where a lot of the graphic, uh, three of the graphic artists and designers for the film walked everyone through what kind of research they had to do in order to recreate the graphics the aesthetic design, the spaceships and everything from the 77 film from uh, episode four so that it was screen accurate for Rogue One, which takes place literally minutes before episode four begins. So minutes beforehand, something like that. Yeah. I mean, we don't know how much time elapsed between the time they hand the plans off to the Death Star to Princess Leia and then the start of uh, episode four. But it's right in there. So that's going to be pretty interesting. Then on, I think it was Friday, I want to say. I want to say it was Friday. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was Saturday. Uh, They had the bigger Star Wars panels. And part of that was the announcement and confirmation that Alden Ehrenreich, I think that's how you Mm -hmm. say the guy's name, will be playing the young Han Solo in the upcoming Han Solo standalone movie. Mm -hmm. What do you think of that? I believe the last name is German. It means the cattle are dying. I, I don't think so. Are you, are, you, are you calling me a liar? No, I'm just I'm saying actually, you may be misinterpreting. I'm actually fine with it. And I think that the reason why is because when I look at this actor, I can see him in the role. I can see him. He, I mean, it's not as though he even resembles the, the young Harrison Ford. No, 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 no. But it's something where you can definitely there's a vibe about it. There's something about him that feels appropriate for the character. And if you go and just Google his big rubbery head, there are shots where you can just go, okay, that's a total Han Solo attitude. You can see how, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is that that brought him to the role. And I presume it's probably going to be awesome acting chops. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of people may not have seen him in stuff. The most recent thing that he's seen was in was in Hail Caesar, the Coen Brothers movie. 
And mm-hmm. I thought he did a fantastic job as Hobie Doyle, the B Western uh, cowboy uh, star. And he's just a, he, every time he was on the screen, I thought he stole the show. He is really that good as a young as a young actor. Uh, interestingly, the uh, the I guess the producers or directors or whoever uh, not the directors but the producers went and, and auditioned three thousand people for wow. the role of the young Han Solo, and interestingly, Alden was the very first person they auditioned, and then the other two thousand nine hundred ninety nine came in. And nobody knocked him off the king of the No, mountain. they didn't. And so uh, part of their, when they were doing the uh, bit, they were kind of like, well, we're kind of sorry. We we uh, had to waste everyone's money and time to audition everyone else, but we just wanted to be sure. And I think he's going to be really good at this. He's definitely got an interesting look. I haven't seen anything he's been in. He's got I a very short the, list. Does he? Yeah. I saw the the bits and pieces thing where they were talking to him and talking about him something. Yeah. But yeah, I... I really kind of, and part of it, I think, is the fact that I've always kind of loved Star Wars, and, Star Wars, and while I'm not necessarily sure that they can keep up the quality if they are honestly going to try and give us new Star Wars every year for the rest of our natural lives, this one at least sounds like it's got, you know, it's got legs. It's something that I mm. wanted to know more about. So in 1977, how old would Han Solo? Well, but this is not 77 though. This takes place before all of that stuff. Right. That's what I'm saying. How old would Han have been in Star Wars? Uh, I don't know. They kind of make his his age come off in the mid 30s, somewhere around there, I believe. I mean, I believe um, Han or uh, Harrison Ford was a bit older than that. He was like 35. So something. If we figured that Han Solo at the time of Star Wars is. 30 and this kid is what 25 something 24. like that yeah so yeah i i really do want to see what they've got up their sleeves yeah. i'd like to see more i'm really worried of it turning into a here's an origin of everything you know about han solo well and so that's a question what do you want to see in a young han solo movie do you want to see him palling up with uh, lando calrissian do you want to see mm-hmm. this to be the first time that he and chewbacca met is this right. the the story of the kessel run what do you want to mm-hmm. see in a han solo movie because i'm not sure i want to see the kessel run as a movie I plot don't, point i don't either and the, the, i think the main reason why is there's always that danger when you go back into a prequel or a story that's set back into uh, not necessarily established portion of a character's back history, that it's only going to answer questions that we already know to ask. Mm-hmm. So if it's, you know, something where we have to see a card game where he wins a ship off Lando and we have to see him meet this Wookiee, I don't necessarily know that that's going to support a whole narrative. No. I would like for it to be sort of a, an, an overarching thing of how does a kid from Corellia or wherever end up becoming this notorious space pirate who, by the way, is never really very good at it. No. And fails endlessly, but still has this rep as being, you know, the, the baddest of the bad. And as long as it's not something where we find out that he went to high school with Boba Fett and Dengar, I think that there's a lot of places you can go with this that are, are entirely new for star Wars because this is something that's going to be at a time where the empire is established. There is an empire. You're not going to overthrow the empire. You're not going to blow up a Death star. You can't do all of these things. But is it because you know, the time between episode three and episode four is only 20 years. Right. Uh, So, 
if Han Solo was 34, he would have to be, you know, this would have to be in that v- very late time <laughs> of uh, with the Empire in charge. Or you know, after after the after everything kind of falls apart, what I kind of want to see is I know Rogue One kind of comes off as a heist uh, movie, mm-hmm. but it's more of a um, um, the Dirty Dozen type type thing is the way I get a right. vibe for it because it's all military, it's all blow them up espionage kind of stuff. Right. I want to see young Han Solo movie to be a true heist film, not quite <laughs> like not quite like um, Ocean's Eleven. You want Ocean's Apollo 11 is what you want. Something like that, right? Where they have, I mean, there's a book, I think it's called, it's called Scoundrels. Gosh, somebody will, somebody will mention it. But there was a book that is basically a heist book about Han Solo and a bunch of other bounty hunters uh, going on a mission together. And I kind of want something like that. Mm. I don't want to see, hey, Lando, let's have a, let's have a little uh, card game. Oh, I won this ship called the Millennium Falcon. Oh my gosh, now I'm going to be in this race to see how fast I can make the Kessel Run. I don't want to see that. I really don't want to see that. And if they do give us that, I think I'm going to be utterly disappointed. Mm, well, as always, prepare to be disappointed. No, I'm always, I'm always prepared to be disappointed. <laughs> yes, I know. That way, Trust that me. way, if it comes out to be really good, I'm actually like, wow, they have easily surpassed my my expectations on this that thing. was better than my incredibly low standard of what yeah. they probably shouldn't have done yeah eh. all right listeners you can head over to majorspoilers.com you can check out these stories and more and if you're a major spoilers vip member head over to members.majorspoilers.com and check out a bonus podcast where matthew zach and i sit down and talk about books books that zach has been reading space flight uh, and Neil Gaiman. So you want to go check that out over at members.majorspoilers.com. If you are not a member, you can sign up. Every little bit helps. $2, $5, $10 a month. As we said earlier, every little bit helps and allows us to keep this ship running just a little bit longer. Maybe we can make the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. But until then, let's get to some reviews. Light years measure light, not years. Well, if you're traveling at the speed of light. Review. Uh, so this week, I'm, it's a book I wanted to review last week when it came out. It's Nightwing Rebirth Number 1 from DC Comics. It's uh, Tim Seeley and Yannick pa- Paquette. Paquette? Paquette. Paquette. Uh, this is, and again, like all the Rebirth books, I think some of them do a really, really good job. Like the Batman Rebirth and the Flash Rebirth, I thought did really, really great jobs. The rest, though, just seem to be kind of, here's some stuff to get you up to speed on what's been going on the last two years that you weren't reading our books. As we try to reset the status quo. And that's what Nightwing Rebirth feels like. I haven't read any of the uh, Dick Grayson Agent of Spiral stuff. So I didn't know what was going on there. But this book does a very good job of telling you exactly what went on. And um, I'm not really sure I care that much for it. Uh, In the meantime, um, Dick and Damien are having some conversations and uh, doing some stuff about... Um, what uh, Dick has been doing these last couple of years. So there's a lot of flashback stuff. But in the end, we find out that the Court of Owls, which is now the Parliament of Owls, which has moved off to Greece and is no longer in Gotham City, have a whole new plan up their sleeve, and it involves Dick Grayson uh, training their agents. And so Dick has agreed to this. He's going to work from the inside. But we also found out, find out that they had planted a bomb inside of Damien's head. And so really the big part of this um, uh issue is Nightwing removing that bomb from Damien's head, which is probably the biggest mistake anyone could have ever made. Um, 
So it's not a, it's really kind of a middle of the road book for me. I think the art is nice. I think if you're a fan of Nightwing, I think you'll want to pick this up because it really kind of resets and establishes at least the first arc going forward in this new DC uh, world. I like Nightwing. I like Batman. I like Robin. I don't like Damian Robin, but I like Robin. Um, and so this I, this series, I think, has a lot of potential. I know a lot of people are excited about the blue and the black uh, suit being back. I know a lot of people are excited about Nightwing being back. And I like Tim Seeley a lot, so I want to see where he goes with this story. But if you're going to skip a book, if you're a Nightwing fan, you're probably not going to want to skip this book. But if you're going to skip a book, I could say you could probably skip this. I'm giving it three slices of meatloaf out of five. Not great, a little bit better than average, but uh, really I think you could probably just pick up Nightwing number one and know exactly what's going on. I think Flash Rebirth number one had a lot of what brought us to this point, who he yeah. is and how he came it was, to it was, as I had mentioned, I think it's like chapter two of the, um, of the re the whole rebirth story. So if you, uh, the, the DC mm -hmm. universe rebirth, uh, flash rebirth, number one was kind of the chapter two to that because it set up some of the greater conspiracy 5, stuff. It had, it had big chunks of chapter. Yeah, yeah it did. But then, and then Batman rebirth one kind of followed up from flash because it continued yeah. on this conspiracy theory of what's going on here. There's none of this here. This is all just, hey, remember you fought these people when you were Spiral? And hey, do you remember when you did this? And hey, do you remember these bad guys that you fought before? And it was really kind of that. So it was, a, it was a clip. Damien, were they still Batman and Robin in this reality? No, because Batman, of course, was back doing his Batman thing. But in the reality, at one point, they were Batman and Robin because that's where it okay. starts off. Because Dick is like, hey, this is Damian Wayne. I used to be Batman. He used to be my Robin. I used to hate him. But there's something spunky about him, And I really, really like him. And I would do anything. He's a brother to me. Let Aww. me pull this bomb out your nose. Out of your nose. Yeah. <laughs> that happened in Total Recall as well. Yeah. All right. I got a review too. What do you got this? This Oh, this is a new book out this week, right? Ah, uh, yes. I believe this I is believe out this week. I believe it's out today. Yeah. Yeah. Faith number one, the Faith ongoing series from Valiant Comics, written by Jody Hauser, art by Perry Perez, who, by the way, pretty awesome stuff. And the best part is there's actually a second artist, Marguerite Sauvage. Yeah, yeah, she's Who really handles good. fantasy sequences. Mm -hmm. So when Faith, who is kind of a superhero fan and, and big nerdlinger, imagines herself as the superhero of her dreams it's actually handled by a different artist yeah i like that i do too this is coming off of the faith limited last spring well, i think I mean, it's it, just ended. I mean, it like literally just ended like two so, months ago yeah yeah i've got a question about that when when you're done with this all right so we pick up with faith faith herman no yeah something uh also the superhero known as zephyr who was part of the harbinger team Saved the world, uh, lost a friend, broke up with her boyfriend who was named Torque. Not that I'm bitter. <clears throat> and yeah, now, she's now, now she's dating Archer of Archer and Armstrong fame. That's right. And she's forged a new identity working for a company that's clearly not BuzzFeed, uh, delivering content on the Internet with a mask and glasses like 1960s Supergirl and meeting new friends and playing Dungeons and Dragons and also fighting crime with her super psychic flying powers. And throughout this issue, we find that there are already some real growing pains with her secret identity because a secret identity is very difficult. The people who are in on it are trying to use it to their favor. Her boss tells her that she wants faith Zephyr 
to write columns for the book rather than just her secret identity, Summer. Her best friend is in on it and wants to help her get a better costume by inviting his girlfriend in on the secret, but she's not sure about that. Of course, there's a mysterious guy running around who has some sort of strange device that allows him to dispel or somehow disperse her powers. And throughout this issue, we basically see kind of your Spider-Man complex of this is a problem. Here's another problem. Now there's like five problems. And all the way at the end of the issue, she gets to go off and meet her favorite TV star. Excuse me. Movie star. Super sexy movie star who's clearly not Chris Evans' Captain America. Who injects her with a strange drug and at the end of the episode tells her that it's going to be great destroying her. So first off, don't trust anybody in a faith comic. Second of all, but the title of the book is called faith. You should totally have faith in people that you meet in a faith comic book. (laughs) The thing about it is, and I feel like it's done really well, valiant as a whole, but faith as you know, very specific has a tendency to take the comic book tropes and toys that she loves, that she grew up with, that many of the readers are familiar with, and show them to us in ways that all of a sudden they're not at all what they seem. And that's the great part about this. The man that she's been crushy-crushy on, her you know, her beautiful boyfriend that she imagines maybe loving in the future and has a whole fantasy sequence where they fly off and become superheroes together, turns out he's a jerk face. So never meet your heroes. Well, yeah, never meet your anything, really. Uh, Archer is in in the basement. (laughs) Wear your tinfoil hats. Her boyfriend Archer is in this. I'm not saying anything about them having a fight, but they might have a fight. The best part about it, of course, is Faith herself. And Jody Hauser does a really great job with realistic pop culture references. She feels like an authentic nerd. And I say that as an authentic nerd. Faith feels like she is one of us, one of us. And that sells this for me. The fact that she is, first of all, a female solo character is awesome. The fact that she is uh, heavy and she's not, you know, your standard girl who looks like Jessica Alba is awesome. I feel like this is a book that people need. This is a book that not only is a good story, not only has an entertaining hook to it, but it provides some representation for people who don't always get representation. And I'm all about the positive examples and, and taking these books and these heroes and making them more accessible. So it's not all everybody is Barry Allen or Batman. So I'm going to give faith number one, the ongoing four out of five slices of meatloaf, a really solid book. It makes you boo the bad guys. It makes you feel for the good guys. And most importantly, It makes it obvious that everything you know about superheroes is really, really problematic and maybe just a little bit unrealistic. It doesn't go so far as to say you're stupid, but it does say that there's no way that most of this stuff would actually work in real life. And I really love that. Cool. So this is Faith Number One. It's now an Mm -hmm. ongoing series. It just finished a miniseries, like we said, maybe about... Oh, a month or so ago. I think it finished in June. They took a month off and or maybe it finished in May. They took a month off and then issue one kicked in. So I guess this is my problem with publishers, but I guess because maybe they didn't know that Faith was going to be such a huge hit. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why the miniseries obviously was first. It turned out to be a big hit. And then they launched it as an ongoing so they can come out with a new number one and get more people excited about it. I'm just curious why they didn't just say, hey, this is an ongoing now. Pick up issue five for the next arc in the story. Uh, well, is it that number one mentality? Even Valiant is not above the stunt. And more importantly, this does pick up where that arc left off. Mm, okay. But, you know, it's like we say about Hellboy. You'll have those four issues, and this one's about the frogs from hell. And then this next one is actually about the evil demon wrestler from uh, Pasadena. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of okay with the ongoing getting a number one rather than just transitioning into the series because it does give people that jumping on point. That even now, even today, there's a huge cachet of we need to jump on with issue one. If I can't get issue one, I'm not going to read the book. Right. So I think that issue one really gives people a chance to come in. People who may have not read the miniseries, mm-hmm. they can now pick up issue one and then they can grab the miniseries in collected format, read the whole thing. So, Do you think you need the miniseries to get into this? No, okay. this tells you what you need to know. It doesn't tell you everything about the miniseries, which I very much appreciate. Good. But it does posit her, you know, it puts her where she is and it gives you the context to know where she is and how she got there. Yeah. Um, real quick, I want to tell you about Kim and Kim number one from Black Mask Comics. I don't know if you've had a chance to read this, Matthew, but uh, I was really impressed by this. This is written by uh, Magdalene Visaggio with art by Tess Fowler, Kiki Jenkins, and a bunch of other people listed on the book. Uh, Kim mm-hmm. and Kim are 20 something. They're best friends. They're also interdimensional law enforcement bounty hunters. <laughs> and they really have a I mean, the 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 dialogue in this is super well written as far as the sassy back and forth between. Uh, the characters and the problem is Kim and Kim are like no money. They are just barely breaking even and they barely have enough money for gas. Problem is Kim could contact her father to ask for money. The problem is her father is the owner of a um, inter- interdimensional bounty hunter agency and the two of them have had a falling out. So there's no way that she wants to go back and work for her dad or, or let alone ask her, her dad for money. Uh, but they do constantly run into a pair of dudes, and I forget what their names are, that, um, that uh, um, dude bro kind of people. They work for that same agency. And mm-hmm. they're, they're given a tip that there is this big high stakes guy that has escaped and everybody wants him. And he's killed some guys. He may be pretty dangerous. And so Kim and Kim set out to go and track this guy down. Now, here's the part where it gets really interesting, as you said, about representation. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the Kims, I believe, is queer, although it doesn't come out right and say that. The other Mm -hmm. the other Kim is trans and has completely transitioned. And I don't know if that's and the way they bring this out is Kim is just talking and just casually mentions about her transition and boom, they just continue on with it. It, it is literally half a sentence in a 32 page comic book. And so it doesn't treat it as, Oh, Hey, look at this. This is something special. This is something different. But when you're talking about, um, representation and you're talking about, uh, power, uh, this is a really good book to pick out. And the art is fantastic because Tess Fowler does a really good job. If you don't follow her on Twitter, um, uh-huh. it's great. Um, but, um, I would really recommend this. This is another book that, uh, came out, I think I want to say a week or so ago. It came out July 6th, but I was, uh, finally picked it up. I was so blown away with it and I wanted to share with people. 
about Kim and Kim. It's funny, and don't think that the and some people might go, oh, well, it's talking about queer and trans uh, gender uh, characters, and it's going to focus on that. It doesn't focus on that. It's who they are, but that's not what the story is about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, really cool. And, and so I would really recommend if I were going to give this uh, meatloaf slices, I would definitely give this four out of five slices of meatloaf. I think nice. it's really cool. It's really cleverly written. It's full of funny humor. And I want to see what happens next with these uh, this outlaw octopus uh, morpher guy who they are tracking down and now must <laughs> and now must go uh, settle scores with people. So it's it's a lot of fun. I think the next issue will be out uh, right around the first of August. So go check that out. That's from Black Mask Comics. It is on Comicsology now. Go pick up the first issue. Do you have another book you want to throw in real quick, Matthew, or not? No. <laughs> okay. Then, uh, like I said, head over to Majorspoilers.com, read a bunch of reviews over there, and also check out the Major Spoilers Poll of the Week. Week, 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 week. So have you seen the movie Push, Matthew? We've talked a lot about it. Rodrigo and I have talked a lot about it on the Major Spoilers podcast over the years. And if I'm not mistaken, he's also kind of a fan of Push. <sighs> no, Push. Not Pull. No, Pull. Push. Push. Push and Pull. So have you seen this movie? Uh, yeah. I really can't remember, but I know I sat down and I watched this. <laughs> you you have another one that you love, Jumper, and I've watched yeah, that yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. So Push uh, stars Dakota Fanning uh, as this. It's, like, it's based on the novel by Sapphire, right? I don't know if it is based on a novel or not, um, but it's got um, it's got uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, what's oh. her face? That other guy. The other guy. And the one guy. Right. No, it's got Chris Evans in it. Right. It's got Dakota Fanning in it. It's got, I'm pretty sure it's got the guy who plays, um, no, because Himdahl is, um, who plays Himdahl in the Thor Idris movies? Elba plays No, no, Himdahl. it's not Idris Elba. This is a Digimon, um, Hunsu. Digimon Hansu. Yeah, yeah. Who, who, what what character is he? Isn't he in some comic he, book movies? He was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Ah, okay, Guardians of the Galaxy. Ronan, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Okay. Uh, and it's got, um, um, What's her face from uh, Marvel Agents Ming of Shield? Ming Na Win in that as well. So it's got all your favorite Marvel characters in this <laughs> world where people have mutated abilities, and they are both shunned and feared and hunted by the governments of the world. So most of them all find their way to uh, Taiwan, where mm-hmm. there's kind of you know they're all uh, expats, so they're all kind of living there and doing their thing, and they get uh, wrapped up in a. Uh, in a heist, in a, in, a, in a scheme to find something that the government wants, this one girl right. that everyone wants, and it's really kind of Dakota Fanning kind of thing. Right. And it's really and good. And the it watchers is, and yeah, the yeah. movers and, yeah, the, the, and the shakers. Yeah, and the shakers and the, watchers, the stitchers. And the shakers, yeah. It's really cool. I think it's probably the best X-Men movie that is not an X-Men movie. It may be better than a lot of X-Men movies. Uh-huh. Um, it doesn't have a, lot, a high rating. It's a, got a, like a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes. It has some problems. But as far as comic book superhero movies goes, it's pretty good. Which brings me to the poll of the week, which would be nice if Rodrigo and Ashley were here, because then we could we could really get uh, some questions on this. Would you want to see a push (laughs) sequel? I we've talked. I think Rodrigo and I have talked about this. I don't want to put words into Rodrigo's mouth, but I'm pretty sure he would he would want to see a push sequel. Well, I wouldn't put words in Ashley's mouth, but I'm pretty sure she would say haven't seen it. Yeah. And you (laughs) what about you? Would you want to see a, a push sequel? Well, uh, for me, the, the sequence of events that would lead me to want a sequel is how well do I remember the film? Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's 
vaguely, and I'm pretty sure that I'm also kind of conflating it with Super Capers, which was a movie that had the kid who played Jimmy Olsen as a superhero named Ed Gruberman. No, no, no. So, yeah, that's, this has, I know. This movie no. has a really cool aesthetic to it. That, that's another thing that I like about it. Yeah. I would say that I wouldn't not want to see a film, but I don't remember enough of it. It did not make the impression on me that I desperately wanted to see a film. Oh, it did make an impression hardly on anybody, I don't think, except for me. Yeah. He is. So the director of this uh, movie is actually directing Paul um, McGigan. Uh, what do you say his name? Maguggenheim, McGillicuddy. He is directing two episodes. He's directing the first two episodes of the upcoming Luke Cage movie uh, or the TV series. Yeah, McGuigan. Yeah, I know that guy. Uh, Luke Cage, uh, he'll be directing that. People will be able to see, I think, the first episode at the San Diego Comic-Con this week. Right. So, yeah, it didn't make a it didn't make a lot of um, didn't make a lot of um, noise, except a lot of people didn't like it. But uh, I dig it, and I would really love to see a sequel to it. But I, it's one of those that I don't know what the, the, the state of the property is at. So people may have said, oh, no, this didn't go anywhere. So therefore, mm-hmm. we're not going to do anything else with it ever again. But I think they could really make it cool. I mean, really, it is the it's an X-Men movie. And if you mm-hmm. like X-Men, then you might want to check this one out. Go, go, go and watch it again, Matthew. Well, we'll see. You, you got nothing but time on your hands. Your wife's, yeah. out of, your wife's out of town now, right? Yeah. So you got I'm nothing but time. You got nothing but time on your hands. Sure. That's what I've got. Yep. So you got time to sit down and watch Push. I have nine doctor's appointments in the next three weeks, but I've got time. Cancel them. Cancel them. Or better yet, put push on your mobile device and watch it while you're in the waiting room of all these places. Because you know you're going to – because my experience with going to the doctor is the doctor says, hey, your appointment's at 1 o'clock. So you're like, okay, I want to be a good person. I'm going to show up about 10 minutes early. So you show up and then you misjudge how long it takes to get across town because everyone's out of town for the summer. So you get there and you're actually 15 minutes ahead of your appointment. So then they are like, okay, come back, sir. And you go back there and then they weigh you and do the blood pressure and all that stuff. And then somewhere around 2.15 or so, the doctor finally walks in to a very uncomfortably warm uh, examination room. So I think you're going to have time to watch Push in your nine uh, different doctor's appointments over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, mine are awesome. They're like, yeah, okay, there you go. Oh, yeah, no, that's that's what happens when he walks in. He takes one look at me and says, okay, you can get out now. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, how does everyone else vote in this this poll of the week this week, Matthew? Not a lot of votes in the bag right now. Less than 40, but it's running pretty close. 56% saying hell to the no. Yeah, yeah. 44% saying heck to the yes. By the way... We're we're forty five, dude. Yeah, we are. We can't say Hills to the yeah, to the we no. are. We can't say cray cray. I mean, oh come on, not being able to say hills to the no. That's cray cray. <laughs> I'd prefer to be able to use heck to the yes because it totally totes my goats. <laughs> what's that mean with uh, what's his face uh, from uh uh. Fargo and he's walking through and he's like, hello, young peoples or what is that? <laughs> hey, fellow kids. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Oh, we can totally be those people. <laughs> we can. I choose not to is what I'm saying. Some people are like, no. I've never heard of push. I've got no interest in a sequel to a film with a 23% tomato rating. Oh, sometimes you got to watch those 23%. 
That's how I found Push and Jumper. Well, the thing about the tomatometer is that you can't trust it as will you like a movie. It right. will tell you whether a movie is, you know, necessarily qualitatively enjoyed, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. Well, as, it also know, depends the black on. Hole, I'm sure is poorly tomatometered. And Probably. it's a great movie. It's yeah, the greatest yeah, movie yeah. ever, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, another person says, I enjoy the movie. Not my favorite of movies, but I thought it was better than most, uh, giving credit for it. But uh, not enough that I think a sequel would be great idea unless it is well written and brings something new to the table that actually makes sense instead of just being a generic revisit of the setting. If they could do that, I'd love a sequel. Yeah, they'd have to do something different because now people have these powers. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Aww. A lot of people in the comments are just like, no, I don't want to see another push movie. Come on, Chris Evans, Dakota Fanning, all remember the, all the Mar- all your favorite ago. Marvel characters in one place. Do you remember a couple of years ago where I said, hey, guys, can we do Armor Wars? And you're like, sure. And we read Armor Wars and you and Rodrigo and Zach were all like, hey, did it. This is how that felt. Yeah, yeah. The people all going, the thing that you like is bad. Go away. So now, ha ha, vengeance is mine. Oh, but not everybody says that. There's forty-four no, percent of the people like, are like, "Yeah, heck to the well, yes." They didn't actually read. They just <laughs> no, come on, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. My gosh. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't want to step on your My being that guy. Gosh, Matthew, is, is that what you have on your on your business card? Hello, I'm Matthew. I'm that guy. No. My business card actually says bass player, bartender, casual hero, but that's not the point either. No, what is the point is that we're sponsored this week by Tweaked Audio. They have a bunch of different styles, a bunch of different colors that you can go pick up. Uh, they are great uh, people. They uh, great business. Uh, they are super effective when it comes to dealing with customer support and customer service. And best of all, their earphones and their earbuds are the best. They're designed for great music and for great talk. They're engineered for durability, great noise reduction design. They're compatible with all of your music type mobile devices. Oftentimes they will retail between $19 and $35, but guess what? When you use the checkout code MAJOR at tweakedaudio.com, you're going to get 33% off your price. So thank you, Tweaked Audio, for sponsoring this episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So a couple of weeks ago, Matthew, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, you engaged engaged in a Twitter conversation with someone. um, Yes. Where we were talking about letting, uh, I think the person asked about letting characters age naturally in comics. Yes, aging in real time. Yeah, and you said, nah, that's not a good idea. Nobody would be interested in that. That is not what I said. What did you say? I believe what I said was it causes more problems than it sets out to uh, actually take care of. And I think that just the the way that comic books specifically, but most of these uh serial narratives are set up it kind of works against them but yeah i i don't think that well certainly not all books being set in real time would be a successful kind of take but then again you know there's uh batman superman generations yeah exactly we got superman and batman generations volume one written mm-hmm. and illustrated by john byrne so it's got that whole take to it but yep. essentially we are following 80 years of batman and superman are friends Mm, yes. And not only are Batman and Superman friends because they meet in the late 30s uh, when the superhero genre kicks off. 1939. <laughs> we get to see every 10 years that we get to see a story from every decade from 39 to 89 and then 21, 29. 
mm-hmm. which then takes you back to a story of uh, what nineteen twenty nine, I think, is when yes. the flashback story occurs. But yes. we get to see the lives of these characters as Batman is married, and then she dies, and then Batman takes on a ward, and then he gets married, and then he has a kid, and uh, Superman gets married and has a kid, but that kid is been exposed to green kryptonite so he's just a normal person and he goes crazy and starts killing people and lois dies and people age naturally mm, sort of yeah well i mean our main characters and so we have characters that die and live and uh, procreate mm-hmm. and have and become that generation's hero so dick grayson gets to be batman for a while because they want to maintain this image of batman Right, Batman as an immortal defender, basically. Batman's son becomes Robin, and then when Dick Grayson is killed, then um, he becomes, the son becomes the new Batman. Bruce Wayne Jr., yep. Yep, BJ, as they call him in the book. And then on the uh, the Superman side, we get to see stories of, as I said, Superman in, uh, I think it was the 49 story, or is it the 59 story? Must be Mm, the 49 story. The 59 story has Mixus Pitalik and Batmite. Yeah. Okay, so 49, uh, the Joker and Lex Luthor team up, mm-hmm. and this is one of those classic, <laughs> oh, I'm Superman is dressed as Batman. No, it's Robin dressed as Superman dressed as Batman. Um, but in the process, uh, <laughs> Superman and Lois are married. Lois has mm-hmm. a baby, but Lex Luthor exposes the baby to green kryptonite. And so a baby is born without powers. There's, is it green or gold? No, gold kryptonite is what takes away all the powers. Okay. And Lex did expose the baby to that, uh, the unborn baby to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he grows up and is normal, but he goes off to Vietnam, and it's pretty clear that he is not a – he's not all there. Yes, he, he has some serious emotional issues, which aren't entirely stemming from the fact that one of his parents is a, you know, a guy who flies through the sun to clear his cape, but – at least partially that. And of course he has a baby sister who has all of her superpowers. And so when Lex Luthor comes out and says, Hey, let me tell you who your dad really is. He's been lying to you all this time. Come work Mm -hmm. for me. And together I will give you the powers that your father denied you. Power. So he goes off and not only kills his sister, Mm -hmm. but also kills Batman. Yes. uh, BJ Bruce Wayne jr. And uh, Lex Luthor kills Lois and in the process over time kills like every person that Clark Kent Superman has ever known, which is kind of horrible. Yeah, it really is. It's it's awful. In the process, Superman is so angry that he kills Lex Luthor and gets sentenced to 10 years in the Phantom Zone. But Superman (laughs) has lost all of his powers. Yes, because of the kryptonite. Yes. Uh, at some point, we discover that uh, Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne, missed mm-hmm. his son's wedding day, missed all of this chaos because he was out climbing in the Himalayas, mm-hmm. and finally came face-to-face with Ra's al Ghul. Oh, uh, no, not the Ra's al Ghul everywhere. And then they fought. And then they fought, and then they climbed together into the Lazarus Pit and became one so that Batman is immortal. <laughs> and Batman uses Raish's uh, powers for evil for actually good. Yes. And then 
Superman comes out of the Phantom Zone because each issue, well, each story, and there are two stories per issue, Mm -hmm. jumps a decade into future. Right. Well, it's not been quite a decade. I'm sure people would give it would be okay if we let him out early. It is Superman and time off for good behavior and all. (laughs) And then he meets his grandson. Yeah. And then Nightwing. uh, Yes, Nightwing, which is which is interesting in itself. And so um, what they do in Lex Luthor's lab after Lex has been killed, they actually find a formula that will actually give Superman back his powers. He also gives them to Nightwing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so now there is a new Superman of Earth. And with all this great Superman, Batman goodness that's going on in the world, the world is now totally at peace. And Superman's like, well, my job here is done. I will go explore the galaxy and live to infinity and beyond. Fly off into space. 300 years later, because now Batman's immortal. Right. Batman finally tracks him down on a planet. And he finds mullet Superman because it's the 90s. Yeah, and it's John Byrne. Yeah, exactly. And then they have a uh, tale where they reminisce about uh, the time that they first met that Bruce apparently didn't remember when they were young kids. That was actually our second meeting. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Which I kind of like. I like the fact that the story comes full circle at the end. Yeah, it does. So what do you, I mean, I really kind of in this form, in the way mm-hmm. it's presented, where we're getting a slice of what it's like in each of the decades, we mm-hmm. get to see these characters age. And reading this, I could actually see that if this is how they had taken these characters during these time periods, I would have been totally okay with that. I would not. And there's an important reason why this book came out in like 1999. I yeah, something say. like that. Yeah. I bought this book off the stands and it was really good, but each issue or each story in the issue is really strongly based on what the comics were like roughly that time. And that's the other thing that's interesting about them. Yes. Yeah. The 1939 story basically has a Fleischer brothers, Superman appropriately with a, you know, an early detective comics, Batman with the, with the pointy head Mm -hmm. and burn goes to great lengths to get the authenticity to get Batman's original gloves, to get the S symbol right throughout the ages. And this story works based on the strength of 80 years of continuity or, right. you know, at the time, 60 years of continuity. And they tie bits and pieces. But if you actually look at, say, the Mixius Pitalik story, which is said to take place in 1959. 50s, yeah. Yeah. It's a quintessential 50s story. Sure. But it's also a story where you look at it and you're like, well, it's a modern take on some of the tropes of the story in that time. And because of the sliding time scale and because Superman and Batman didn't age between 1939 and 1999, they're able to take that narrative, what existed throughout the regular timeline, and apply it to a story where Superman and Batman age. So. Mm-hmm. Without the 60 years of sliding time scale, you couldn't tell this story in real time. You could because he is because Batman is older in in that time. By that time point, he's like 20 years, 20 years older from the 39. So he's in his 40s at that point. If Batman had actually aged in real time starting in 1939 and in the 1950s, Robin aged up, excuse me, and became the new Batman. You wouldn't 
have this story to tell by the time you get to 1999 because the reason this works as a real-time story is because there are the decades of story that weren't a real-time story if that makes sense it's like no no i understand where you're coming from yeah it's it's a story that works solely because it's doing something that the comics didn't do and i feel like when it comes to real-time storytelling it is in many ways a gimmick it's like the television show 24 is a really exciting fighty fighty yeah, spy. No way that it takes place in a day. Procedure. Right. Right. Cause but it if take you at least at an hour to take a dump. Yeah. The thing that originally <laughs> you take an hour to take a dump. There's Sometimes. Something. All right. But the thing about it that really made it stand out in those early episodes was that real time facade. Mm -hmm. The real time thing was the gimmick that drew you into these characters lives the real-time progression of this story is the gimmick, and then what it really tells you a story is this loving tribute to Batman stories past. Yes. Including some swinging 70s stuff that looks like Neil Adams and... Oh, yeah, Joker Jr., man. I will tell you right now, there is a scene in issue two or three, the death of Dick Grayson, mm -hmm. that is one of the most horrifying... Oh, I yeah, where he falls down, where talk, he falls. That's that's the that's the Joker Jr. story where um, yes. Joker Jr. is terrorizing the town and um, uh, Bruce Wayne Jr. is Robin and mm -hmm. Dick Grayson is now Batman and mm -hmm. Batman decides to go into this um, uh, diamond exchange to track down where the Joker is. He goes in and he gets shoved down or he falls down this giant shaft yes. that's razor blades all over the place. Well, he lands down at the bottom and is killed. And it, oh. or not killed outright, but just before he, very, he dies, very badly injured. And Joker Jr. sporting a big old 70s mutton chops and styles and everything says, oh, but here's where I get my ultimate revenge. And Joker Jr. wipes away his face to reveal an old elderly Joker who has been slipping in and out of the prison system to pretend that he is his son. So he could have revenge on on Batman. Yes. And then Batman steps out and says, no. He's lying. He didn't kill Batman. He killed Robin. Which was which was interesting because of the duality of, you know, Dick Grayson was Robin, yes. but also because in the beginning of that of that uh, chapter, uh, Bruce mm -hmm. Jr. is like, hey, look, I've perfected the, the look. I look like Batman. I've even perfected the Batman voice and the word balloon is in a bat symbol. And they're like, yep. yes, at any point right now, you could step in and become the new Batman. And so what has happened is. You said foreshadowing yeah, being no. an important literary technique. Batman Jr. dons the guise of Batman and covers up uh, Robin's face so that no one knows that, hey, that's not the blonde haired Robin that we know. That's somebody else. Right. Yeah, it's it a grown man. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting. I mean, and it's interesting that they take it into the dark places when each of those time periods is changing. That's the other thing that I like about this is it really gives you an interesting take on the stories from that time period, I, you know, and, and yes. I really appreciate it from that. But I could also see these characters aging. I mean, we do have Batman Beyond that does feature an elderly Bruce Wayne mm -hmm. training a younger protege. But again, that's that's not necessarily the way the story is being told. That's the gimmick of the story. That's basically your MacGuffin is, oh, Bruce Wayne is too old. Now we have a new Batman. But we still have those moments like that episode where. It called me Bruce. That's well, not the voice I call myself in my head. Right. You know, the the B Bruce will always be Batman portion of that show is an important piece of 
the the subtext and i think that again the real time storytelling or in that case the 20 minutes or 30 years into the future storytelling isn't so much part and parcel of the story they're telling as it is structural it's there to to put the story and separate it from the standard dc continuity why would we need a new batman well clearly the one we have is old yeah yeah no but i think that i mean if you were and this is not something that's happened because we've had this conversation and this is why with um uh, dc comics we have a, a reboots and why marvel has a sliding timeline is that they don't want their characters to age and what's that Boot launching. Yeah. It's okay for the characters to age. We saw a lot of it in the 90s, but they only aged up to a point. Mm -hmm. Spider-Man got married, which, you know, placed him theoretically in his mid to late 20s in comic book terms. But then when they thought he was going to have a baby, that was a yard too far. Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. Superman and Lois got married, but they stayed, you know, young and they didn't actually have to have a family and deal with the things. But I think the real strength of this series is how it kind of plays with everything that we know about Superman and Batman. I mean, there's there's little nods in here to the Super Sons stories. There's right, nods right. to, you know, 70s Super Friends Lex Luthor in his purple and green oh, suit. Yeah. It's, I mean, it is just, just it's pick a, a decade. Trove pick of a Easter decade, eggs. and this gives you that decade. And the art by Byrne is fantastic, except when um, old Superman looks a little bit more like Grandma Superman. Um, or actually not grandma Superman, but, um, he starts to take on the look of, um, granny goodness with his, with his long flowing gray locks, (laughs) which is just weird. I mean, because we know, because Byrne had that great run on Superman and got to reintroduce the new gods, um, Kirby's new gods in his own way. Now I always see anytime I see Superman with that long gray hair, I instantly, for some reason, think granny goodness. Uh And I, I, kind of appreciate the fact that in the far future immortal superman is married to an immortal lana lang yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i'm i'm not sure if i if i love that or hate it i mean well, bruce seems it's to an, like it it's another example of this book kind of having it both ways because mm-hmm. he marries lois lois is portrayed the way she was in 1939 as a butt kicker who smokes heavily Yep. He said, "Yep, causes her to have cancer. Yeah, right. And all of the stories where Lana Lang magically got superpowers or was turned into something or became the insect queen. Oh, yeah, those made her immortal. Totally, that mm-hmm. makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. So he had his wife that he wanted. She died, and then he had to go and steal a blue French horn so that he could have the new wife later on in what's, the future. But, what's interesting <laughs> is this: the story starts off with um, Bruce Wayne married. Mm-hmm. Something happens to her." Mm-hmm. Where she dies, and we never see her face. No, no, we saw his first wife's face. She dies. He gets remarried. The second wife, whose face we never see. Who is that second wife? Is it Silver Sable because or uh, uh, Silver Saint's Cloud? Because there is the um, one shot from behind where she's walking in, as she's is all it dressed Selena up. Kyle? Well, but that's the yeah. That is. I mean, who is it? Who do you think it is? is? It- Vicky Vale, I think that it is whoever you want it to be. And that's the main portion of this story, the important part. That's one of the riffs to the Super Sons. Because in the 70s, Superman and Batman had super-powered kids. Right. 
neither of their moms ever appeared on screen. And they went to great lengths to hide who the mom was. Was it Lois? Was it Lana? Were they always off panel? Is that what it was? Or did they not show them at all? They would show them in in shadow or from behind or they'd never show up. Or at one point, Superman went to the door and his wife was off panel. You know, they did all the tricks, kind of like what they did in what Byrne does here. Mm Mm-hmm. To hide the identity of Mrs. The Batman. So what year did the Super Sons, what what decade was that? 1972. So that's what he's doing here. He's actually riffing on that then. Yep. That's interesting. And then you get to the 80s and someone is murdered in cold blood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. He, he picked up on everything. I think Superman and Batman Generations Volume 1 is definitely a book worth picking up, both from the art and from the nostalgia factor and from the story that's being told. I think it's fascinating. Personally- One- one is the most solid. Yeah. Personally, I would not pick up volumes two and three, even though I have both, because three just totally goes off the rails and becomes much, much longer than it needs to be. It's like a 12-volume collection, or 12-issue collection. Two is kind of like a hat on a hat. It yeah, expands yeah. on this issue or this series and the themes, and it does some good stuff, but it's really a story that doesn't add anything to this mm-hmm. other than a second volume and maybe some more money. Yeah. But for for DC, I, so. I think this is an extremely well written and concise and well thought out piece. Yes, it's very solid, and the way it's put together is kind of brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, the the use of the time travel bits and the way that the story is laid out. I mean, in each chapter, you do occasionally have the well, as you know, old friend, ten years ago, mm-hmm. but it does it in a way that feels. If not natural, it feels like it makes sense within the narrative. Oh, Alan Scott retired. This is Kyle Rayner. He <laughs> yeah, took yeah. over the job. It's, you it's, notice that they jumped entirely yeah. over Hal Jordan. No, no. Hal, Hal Jordan is there. The, the, no, uh, he is the – Hal Jordan is the um, – what the heck is his role? He is the – because he is in this book. No, he's the judge. I think he's the, I think he's the judge in this book. Judge Judy. Hold, hold uh, his name is Haldren, Halden, Halden Jordan is his name in this book. And I don't think he's a superhero, but yes, they do jump totally over from Alan Scott into, uh, into Kyle, which is cool. But Hal Jordan is in the book. No Wonder Woman though. Meh. Wonder Woman appears in the Oh 60s. yeah, that's right. She appears in, when they uh, confront Nixon, because Nixon wants him to just take care of those <laughs> filthy, uh. Take care of the filthy communists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why like, don't you just go in and clean out the whole mess? Because, and then they make a really good point because Superman's like, hey, uh, in World War II, the delineation of good and evil was pretty clear. And in this case, it's, it's not. So we're not going to get involved. It's a different world now, Superman. We need you to go in there and just clean them out. Yeah, that's uh, sir. I think that's what the Watchmen are for. I think the comedian and uh, and uh, Doctor Manhattan would be happy to go and, oh, and take care. They of They won't be in the continuity for another fifteen years, <laughs> Superman. It'll take a flashpoint paradox before they show up. Well, then uh, we'll just uh, kindly see our way out. Good day. I said good day, Mister President. <laughs> Bottom line for me is this is a really good book, and I I really say it's worth picking up if you can find it. It's not currently available on Comixology, but as Matthew and I both said, we own this in the original issues, so we could just easily pop into our uh, nerd room of doom, pick it out of our comic book uh, collection, and read it and share it with everyone. And this is a major spoilers um, listener recommendation, so you voted on it. 
we read it and reviewed it and shared it with you. And we're old nerds and we like old nerd books. I would say that if you treat this as a closed system and read it with an eye for what do these things mean and, you know, maybe do a little digging or check up on things and maybe hit your wikis or I don't know, you could tweet me. You can I be like, you can, hey, what I does just, this mean in 1975 when this happened? And I'll go, well, faithful spoiler, right? Or you just tell us why, now. Why Why is Superman a giant Frankenstein monster? Oh, well, that, yeah, that's the, they, uh, they uh, kind of uh. do explain that because it's like all these crazy kryptonite things that happen, the red kryptonite uh, stuff that wears off in 24 hours. Good thing he spent the entire time walking from England to here. Yep. Hey, mom, my feet aren't touching the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, here, here wear this, wear this, special wear this necklace. necklace. And oh, I love the fact that she uh, puts on a wig uh, yes, to go like, fight crime. Supergirl did that for years. Yeah, I know. That's why I like that's what that's those are the nice touches that are in here that this is a condensed history of Superman and Batman uh, for those decades. Now, granted, you do have the Super Sons, but that's not really those aren't right. the characters in this book. The Super Sons were weird because they were set in 1972 right. while written in 1972, but they had to take place in some sort of weird alternate universe. But keep in mind, they were written by Bob Haney, the man who also created the snafu of the ages when he brought Wonder Girl in. Because mm-hmm. Wonder Girl was basically just a magical representation of Wonder Woman as a girl. Right. But somehow he's like, hey, stick her in the Teen Titans. Yeah. And then 35 years worth of continuity implants were were spawned in one afternoon. That's the other nice thing about Superman and Batman Generations Volume 1 is this is an Elseworlds title. So it is an imaginary story that takes place in an alternate uh, universe or an alternate setting. So they can do whatever they want. But I, I think uh, John Byrne and DC did a bang up job. What's your what's your final thought on this, Matthew? Oh, yeah, this is a rush right out in a buying frenzy. Even if you don't know if you like your Supermans and your Batmans, and really, if you don't know that, why are you reading comics? But no, if you're not sure about the concept, let me let me put your mind to rest. Anything that you could do with a Superman comic over the last 70 years that would be goofy or strange or over the top, they've done it at some point. DC has done it. Even even Nixon appears. But when you break it down and you look at it through not necessarily a critical lens, but a historical lens, and then you add the the family narrative and the generation narrative, because there's our title, it really does come together for a solid series. And it comes back around at the end in a way that's really, really satisfying. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that even if you've never read a comic book before, if this was the first one you picked up, I think you'd do well. I, yeah. This would be a good place to start reading comics because mm-hmm. then you're going to go, holy crap, what does all this mean? Now I got to go read more comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, that wraps it up for this issue. And thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. We're going to be back next week. We're going to be taking a look at Ghost World because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel. I'm gonna rearrange your things if you continue to debate whether Logan's claws could pierce Steve Rogers' shield. I just couldn't care less if they bring back Craven. Spider-Man's a clone Stop spending
podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 